It's good to be in the house of God, amen, worshipping the Lord. Turn your Bibles with me, 1 Peter chapter number 2. We're going to continue where we left off a couple of weeks ago. And we're talking about the passing pilgrim, how Christians are simply called pilgrims, strangers and pilgrims in the world that we live in. And there are certain reasons why. Uh, Peter alludes to that by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And we're going to continue with the calling of the passing pilgrim. And last week we saw, the, or two weeks ago rather, we saw the uh, character of the passing pilgrim. So we'll continue with this. And the beginning from verse 9. <clears throat> it's good to be saved. It's good to be called a child of God and a friend of God. And uh, it's a privilege to be able to bear the reproach of Christ by preaching his word even to those that do not want to hear it or have a bar of it. It's still a privilege to be able to declare the good news of what our great God and Saviour prepared and planned before the foundation of the world that his son will come and die for sinners, that you and I will simply have eternal life through his blood and the forgiveness of sin. It's precious and uh, there's no greater joy than to be peace with God, to be at peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ by faith. First Peter chapter number two, look at verse nine. <clears throat> Notice what Peter describes the Christian as. He says, but ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. He says, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts, which war against the soul. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord God, we come before you this morning and we thank you for this portion of scripture. We do ask and pray, Lord, that you would use it in the heart of everyone that is present this morning. And that you would help me convey your word simply and sharply and sincere, with, with all sincerity and truth. I pray that you would enable me by the spirit of God that dwells within me to uh, declare the truth found therein. That we may know the truth and be made free and that we are, that are free may walk therein for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. In verse 11, Peter uh, describes the Christian uh, who has trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as their saviour to be strangers and pilgrims. And that simply alludes to the fact that we are foreigners or living like foreigners here on this earth because we have citizenship in heaven. We're just passing through. Uh, we're, uh, we're, we're not here to stay. We're Christians that are seeking the eternal or uh, I should say heavenly citizenships that we have through Jesus Christ. And the main reason we Christians are called strangers and pilgrims is because who we follow, the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said that this, uh, this world is not uh, his kingdom or you know, he's not of this world and so his disciples are not of this world. The second reason is, is the way Christians are treated in this world. Because we are followers of Jesus Christ, we are treated uh, with uh, uh, utmost, det uh, people detest us and uh, look at us as the scum of the earth. And, uh, and so I would like to continue to preach on how to live like a passing pilgrim. We saw the characteristics. We pointed out four things in verse 9. He calls us a, a chosen generation. Anyone in Christ is a chosen generation. We are 
simply uh, not uh, a, a, a people that are uh, outside of God, but rather we now have come to God uh, in Christ. Every believer, the Bible says in 1 Peter 2 verse 6, that he that believeth on him should not be confounded. In other words, ashamed, disgraced, or dishonored. Every believer which is chosen in Christ uh, simply uh, will have this uh, honor before God one day. Not only this, but we are called also a royal priesthood. We believe in the priesthood of a believer. That means every single Christian can come directly to God and we have divine access. And I believe it's a royal priesthood because we have the high priest, which is Jesus Christ. This is the privilege that we have as a people to come to him as his people. And thirdly, we are called a holy nation. This would allude to the fact that we have a citizenship in heaven. This means that every Christian is sanctified and separated from the world to God. And we are heaven's uh, uh, simply people. We are God's people. Uh, we are a holy nation. We are not of the world, but we belong to Christ. And his kingdom is that which is in heaven. And the fourth one is a peculiar people. This is a special people. That's because God has purchased us with his son's blood. We are peculiar. We, we're special because we belong to God. However, today I want to preach about uh, the calling of a passing pilgrim, not only the characteristics, but the calling. We are privileged people that have been given a responsibility to live out our Christian life. We are called out of darkness, the Bible says, into his marvelous light for a purpose. Okay, for a purpose. And the purpose is found in verse 9. He says, you're a chosen generation, royal priesthood, holy nation, peculiar people, that you should look at this. What, for what purpose? We're privileged people, but for what purpose? To show forth his praises. So to show forth means to publish or declare or to proclaim abroad, to broadcast, to make uh, known, if you will. And so we are to make known what? It's almost what Jesus said. Let your light so shine before men. And what is it? The praises of him. The excellency of God. The goodness of God. The glory of God. We are to make known or show forth the goodness of God for the glory of God. We are to extol or lift up the virtues and the excellency of Christ which lives within us. We ought to walk the Christian life to demonstrate. Let me put it like this. We ought to live to God, for God's glory. This is what we're called as a people of God now, which were not a people, but now a people, to live for the glory of God, not for self. He says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. So as privileged people, we carry a huge responsibility. Huge. And uh, we are to proclaim the praises of God in a lost, dark, dying world we are to shine for the glory of God. And the question has to be asked this morning, how are we uh, able to do that? Or how should we do that? Or how can we show forth the praises of God? How? How, how do, practically, how do we do this? Is it just praising God like we are now, singing? No, it's more than just singing to the Lord. It has to do with our sanctified conduct. Look at verse 12. This is the first one. We must live with Christian integrity. We have called to be shining light. We are called to be salty Christians. And the word conversation, verse 12, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles. 
So first of all, our sanctified conduct, the way we live, ought to portray Christian integrity. That word conversation means behavior or lifestyle. It refers to the whole manner of life. It uh, refers to the way we live and the way we as Christians conduct ourselves, the way we talk, walk, everything about us. And the word here, honest, because it says here having your conversation honest has to do with a good report has to be with a good testimony, has to be with moral excellence and goodness, a character that is beautiful, beautifully genuine, sincere, full of truth, honesty, with godly integrity. And this is how we show forth his praises. You know, before a lost and dark, dark dying world, every area of our life must be governed by honesty, integrity, sincerity, and in truth we must be a people of truth and therefore maintain a disposition that is above board we, we, we as Christians must live like Christians I mean you feel, you see the Bible is full of instruction and godly living for us to uh, simply live out in other words look at we never should cheat lie steal cheat on our taxes we should never ever uh, simply break binding lawful contracts we should be uh, Christians with integrity we must be true to our word we must be faithful to the promises that we make we must be faithful in every area of our lives well people ought to look at us and we ought to be blameless in areas of integrity honesty goodness moral excellence we are to keep the promises that we make. So many people make promises that don't keep. Uh, they, they say uh, one thing, but they do another. And they ought not to be us as Christians. We ought to be, uh, you know, when we say something, we ought to be true to what we say. We have to hold up a characteristic that is honest among the Gentiles. That means unbelievers, but how much more amongst one another. We tell the truth and we must live the truth we tell. Yeah, have you heard it? We must preach the truth, but practice what we preach. And it's so important because you've heard it time and time again that the world looks at Christians today and says they're a bunch of hypocrites. And uh, for the most part, rather, in a sense, it's, they have all right to say that because Christians are giving them excuse to say that. But we, as Christians, should never, ever give anybody any reason, believer or unbeliever, any reason at all we must live with godly integrity. We must be uh, simply people of the truth. And so Warren Risby says this, each citizen of heaven is a living advertisement for the virtues of God and the blessings of the Christian life. He says, our lives should radiate the marvelous light because the world is in the dark. People do not know the excellency of God, but they should see them in our lives. And so we must live with in integrity. Christian integrity. However, second of all, we must live under this uh, divine or sanctified conduct to show forth his praises. We must live a life that is incomparable. In other words, we must be different. We must be different to make a difference. We, we cannot be like the world, operate like the world. We, may not, we, we cannot have any guile, scheming or any of that uh, 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 you know, uh, behavior. Look at verse 12. Having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers. Look, listen, even when you live the Christian life, you're still going to be spoken evil against because they don't understand the life that you live. They're going to call your good evil and, and, and they call evil good. You know, the word wicked today means good. 
But it, it shouldn't. It's not. It's wicked. You know, people look at that. Oh, that's wicked. No. Yeah. It's mixed. It's, it's, you know, reversed. This is the way the world operates. And so if they call our good evil, that shouldn't be a surprise, but we ought not to give them any reason. We ought to be different. And by the way, the standard of our holy living is not measured by the world, but it's measured by the word. You know what's happening with Christian society or culture today? They think that they're okay because they're not like the world. But you know how far the world has drifted? You know how far the world has gone in their mor morality, in their standards? What we had 30 years ago, 40 years ago, would be somewhat the standard would be respectable even in the Christian culture but the world has far you know gone but the Christian has gone with the world so to speak so let me let me say this to you once upon a time the modern the, the, the modern day Christian the 21st century Christian stood where God stands and he's holy and he wants to do what God wants to do and the world just let's just say uh, stands here and so he's far apart from the world. He's separate to God. He's doing what God wants him to do. But because now the world has gone far from where God is and from the expectations of God, and they stand here, what, what the Christian has done is they moved where the world used to be, but they think they're okay because the world is over there and they're here. They're still far apart. But what's happened? They've drifted from the word. And so if you stay here in a moving culture, you're going to be looked at. There's something weird about you. Oh, listen, I think they're cultish. Excuse me? Loving the word of God and being heavily citizens and doing what God wants us to do is cultish. It's, it's, it's amazing how many Christians that love the Lord are branded cultish by their insecurity. By their insecurity. I'll say this to you. You're hard-pressed to get people here to say to the Christians that they're cultish, who is it? It's the drifting Christian that stands here that is far from the word and uh, closer to the uh, world, but where the world used to be, they're the ones that are accusing those Christians that are still standing where they're supposed to stand as Christians. We're supposed to live lives that are incomparable. So how far the world drifters, who cares? That's, that's not our measure. Our measure is the Word of God. It's holy living. It's here. It's where God wants us to be as His people. We must have a work that is commendable. Look at verse 12 again. Having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak evil against, uh, against you as evildoers, that ye may uh, look by your good works, which they shall what? Behold. So we, have, we must have a, a word that is commendable. Unsaved, ungodly people watch us. They speak against us and they look for opportunities to trip us up, to say, gotcha. You know why? To undermine the truth that we preach. It happens all the time. We're watched. We're, 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 we're looked at. They, they're trying to find something. And by the way, let me just say for the world out there, Christians are not perfect. They're being perfected. Sometimes they will fall. And when they do, they're broken before God and they ought to apologize to whoever it is that they have trespassed against and of course to God. So, but they're still, they're just waiting. So they can be justified in the way they live and they can undermine the message. But listen, once again, we should live lives that are simply uh, filled with virtue and good works. So we should go uh, the extra mile. 
and apologise where we need to apologise if we've done wrong and do good to those that we've wronged. We ought to be salty Christians that live lives with conviction. We must. Christians who truly live the Christian life demonstrate a life that cannot be denied. You live like Christ. You live walking according to the word. You want to be like him. You cannot deny that because at the end of the day, they can say something evil, but at the, they will say, but you know, he's, he's really a good bloke in their heart. I'm telling you, they can't deny who you are even when they want to try to trip you up. They cannot deny the goodness that you demonstrate as a Christian. We must live lives that are impact others. Look, at, look what it says in verse 12 at the end here. That they may behold your good works, which they, sh uh, they may, uh, may buy your good works, which they behold. Look at this. Glorify God in the day of visitation. So, the proclaiming the gospel light, accompanied with our Christian conduct, is able to influence others to turn to Christ. It should. The light and salt as a Christian is able to shine so bright and penetrate so deep in the life of others to the glory of God. The day of visitation, I believe here, perhaps refers to the final judgment when the Lord comes who will judge the world in righteousness and those that God has allowed us to impact will be thankful at that day when they see the terror of the Lord. There are people that you have impacted in your life which will come to Christ that in that day, they will glorify God and be so thankful. And I thank God for that. You know how many people you're impacting when you live, when you speak the gospel, praise God, live the Christian life, and you don't even know it? The, uh, the multitude, you feel like, man, the whole world is against you. For the most part, they are, but there are people watching, and there are people being encouraged, and there are people seeing you being dealt with unjustly. Like Jesus was on the cross, he was dealt unjustly. The thief on the cross saw it, the centurion saw it, and it made a difference when he, when he, when he spoke no evil at the, at the time of his death. When, when he was reviled, he reviled not again. By the way, it's in our passage. It's in our passage. Maintaining an upright walk impacts the next generation. The Bible says it clearly in Proverbs chapter 20, verse 7, the just man walketh in his integrity and his children are blessed after him. It impacts the next generation, the way we live, honestly. You know, my dad doesn't do that. He's a Christian. No, we don't go to that certain place. My dad's a Christian. We don't listen to that filth. My dad is a Christian. We don't cheat on our taxes. My dad's a Christian. We don't do anything to cheat the system and, and, cheat, and, and, and to show guile, we, uh, even when the world hates us. Why? Because my dad's a Christian. He doesn't gamble and he doesn't uh, play you know, footy tipping or anything like that. I'll tell you what, my dad's a Christian. It will impact the next generation. And when they drift and they go with the culture, they know when they stand here they've drifted, at least they, they can come back. Amen? When they go in the darkness and they've, and they've gone from the light which shines in the home, and he ought to, at least they know they've drifted and they can come back. There ought to be light in the home, integrity in the home. Even here in chapter number three, Peter uh, simply alludes that the Christian godly wife can impact her unsaved husband. Have a look at 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1 and 2. Notice, it says, Likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, 
that if any obey not the word, that's an unbeliever, a husband that's an unbeliever, they also that may without the word be one how? How are they one? By the conversation, by her lifestyle, by her uh, submissive spirit that is so beautified, her honest life before her husband, that he, without the word, be won by the conversation of the wives while they behold the word again. Behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear. The unsaved husband sees a beautified Christian in the home, a, a, a demeanor that is soft, a, a, a submissive, quiet, peaceable, which in, in the sight of God is great treasure, not a boisterous, loud, stubborn woman. No, a woman that knows her place and loves her husband, even when her husband doesn't love her. Wow! Now, by the way, I'm not advocating for any, any disclaimer, any abuse in the home. If anyone's abused physically in the home or is under uh, uh, someone that is simply uh, uh, harming one's life, run, separate. I don't believe in divorce, but separate under those conditions. Separate yourself. But I'm just saying, in a home where he's careless, doesn't care about God, doesn't care about her, he cares about his lifestyle, and, you know, he, he lets her have her little religion and Christian. You go to church, sweetheart, but I'm staying home. By her life and her submissive spirit, she could win him. She can win him the testimony in, in which she professes by her life can, can impact his soul. This leads us to the next point. How are we to show forth the praises of God? Have a look by our submission. Look at verse 13. Look at verse 13. Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be king supreme, uh, to the king as supreme or unto governors, verse 14. I believe by our submission. Look, listen, as citizens of heaven and strangers and pilgrims, we must have a godly submission in relation to our God-ordained government. We're not rebels against the government. We're not trying to revolt against the government, although the government is against Christian morals and virtue. The, the word here, ordinance of man, means the traditions and laws that have been put in place by government. I believe this also refers to the workplace, rules and regulations to all uh, workers, to all those that work for their bosses. Look at verse 18. Servants, be subjection to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and Gentile, but also to who? The froward. So, you know, even if you have good bosses, and by the way, it makes it easier to walk under, uh, under a good boss, but even if you have a, a, a boss who is forward and he doesn't care and, and uh, he, he, you know, he's just... He, doesn't care about his workers. Over here we're told to, uh, uh, you know, uh, submit under them, work our hardest, and, uh, and, and, and even if they're unreasonable. And by the way, thank God for Christian bosses. Thank God for true Christian bosses that work with integrity in the field. And by the way, if anybody works for a Christian boss, do not take their grace for granted. Do not take their grace for granted. You know how many people out there, how many bosses are cruel? They're not undermining scripture, but they're just cruel. They don't care about you. And I, I, I believe with all my heart, the submission that he's talking here is working with all your heart. Being a good employee. And over here, as passing pilgrims to the government, we need to be good what? Citizens. We ought not to have a black mark 
Oh, for the way we, you know, maintain uh, the, the speed rules on the road. That's one of them. You know, I reckon if a Christian loses license multiple times, it, it, it is a bad testimony. And so we need to maintain a good citizenship as we pass through, though we're not here forever, but we're just passing through and we ought to maintain a good citizenship. Now in verse 14 we see the government ordained by God for a purpose. What's that main purpose? To punish and to praise. Look at verse 14. Unto, unto, he says, Or unto governors, as unto them that are sent look at, by him, God, for the punishment of who? Evildoers, and for the praise of them that do well. So the word here, punishment, means to avenge, and stems from the heart of justice. The prime uh, responsibility, I believe, the government has is to set law and order and to be just. To be just. To deal with criminals and, and, and to leave those that are living the way that perhaps even in the Christian culture, the way God wants them, leave them alone. You're supposed to get criminals. But you know what's happening today? Christians are almost labelled to be criminals. But we're not talking about that. I'll get to that a bit later on. But we're talking about being in subjection to them in very, every area. Pay your tax. Pay your bills. Pay your bills. Submit to the road rules. Uh, be good to the... Uh, respectful to, to the law enforcement. To judges that God has put in place. Oh, they're corrupt. Yeah, God will deal with the corruption. Don't you worry. He would deal with them. And so uh, Proverbs 21 verse 3, to do justice and judgment is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. The main purpose for government is to set law and order and to put justice where justice needs to take place. Now, we're obviously going to be dealt with unjustly. So how do we deal with those things? And again, I'll get to that later. But though we're on this subject, let me give you a few pointers regarding this. We must remember some important factors when submitting to our authority. Number one, as citizens of heaven, we must not compromise our God-given convictions that have been formulated by the Word of God. In other words, uh, God uh, has, has given Christians the authority to live as Christians fulfilling the Great Commission. Did you know that Jesus has the all authority on earth because the government has limited authority? Uh, the, the, the husband or the father in the home has limited authority. The pastor in the church has limited authority. But Jesus on earth has all authority. And he said, all authority has been given unto me. And he gives us our marching orders. And he says, go. Go and preach or go and teach to all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever commanded you, and though I'm with you always. Listen, let me say that uh, as passing pilgrims, we are ambassadors for Christ. That doesn't change. It should never change under any circumstance. We are called to be ambassadors as passing pilgrims. He says in 2 Corinthians to the Corinthians, Paul the Apostle now then we are ambassadors for Christ as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's dead be ye reconciled to God. And so as ambassadors of Christ, we are to plead with people to get right with God through Jesus Christ. And this is the mandate that we should be carried and, 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 and continued all the way to the end of the age or to the end of the world. It can never be overruled by any government that has put in place, no matter where you are. No matter where you are. When the decision was made to put the disciples in the prison for preaching the word or preaching the gospel truth, God overruled the government's decision. 
and by the angel of the Lord he led him out he busted him out now I'm not saying go and do the great escape and help Christians be delivered no if God chooses to do that he will and he can with other means but what I'm trying to say to you is they put him in prison for preaching and God says, no, go and preach some more. Have a look at Acts chapter 5, verse 20. Go, stand, speak in the temple to all the people. What is it? The words of life. This is the word of light. This is what the people need. We, we cannot stop being what God has called us to be. When religious authorities were threatened, the disciples, in, not to preach in the name of Jesus anymore, all the apostles, not just Peter, said this, we ought to obey God rather than who man number two as citizens of heaven we ought not to be involved or participate with any unlawful ungodly decrees set forth by the government okay number one submission to our god-given government does not mean we have to support same-sex marriage god did not give the government any authority to redefine marriage Number two, submission to our God-given government doesn't mean that we support the killing of babies in their mother's room. God did not give the government any permission to shed innocent blood. Number three, submission to our God-given government doesn't mean we stop being what God has called us to be here on earth. God did not give the government any consent at all to tell his church how the church should be governed. Jesus is still the head of the church, not the government. What we do in the church is none of the... It's, it's not the government's business. What we do in the home is not the government's business. Number four, so submission to our God-given government does not mean that we should ever be forced to worship anyone else other than God. One day, a modern-day Nebuchadnezzar will arise. And he will be in power. And he will, if you will, have like a one-world government rule. And he will force people to worship him possessions of the world or the needful things of the world as bait it was similar to what the devil did with Jesus at, 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 at the uh, in the wilderness when he tempted him he said all these could be yours only if you bow down and worship me what did Jesus say very clearly he said it is written thou shalt worship the Lord thy God and him only thou shalt serve amen oh, you know Daniel refused to obey the law of Darius forbidding anyone to pray to God Daniel in his day disobeyed the Persian government for a reason. Why? He says, as I do aforetime, I'm going to worship God like I did before. Nothing's going to change. It's an unlawful decree. Not going to change my disposition with God. Why? Because God is the ultimate authority. The ultimate authority. Even the king at the hour, King Saul, called his servants to put to death the priests of God. And they would not do it. They would not do it. I believe Abner to be part of that. Uh, he was one of his uh, bodyguards, if you will, and I believe he would not do it. Why? Because it's not lawful to put the priests of God to death. And there was one evil man that said, I'll do it. Wow. But the government or any king or any ruler has no authority to overrule God's ultimate moral excellence and decrees. Amen? As number three, as citizens of heaven, we must not have a defiant or a rebellious attitude toward our modern day Herod or centurion. In other words, we must, not maintain, we must maintain a submissive spirit toward our prime minister and police officers. You know what? When I see the police officers, I, I, I come up, I shake their hands and I say, before I was a Christian, I hated you. And they're like, oh, why? Because I said I was wicked. There was nothing wrong with you. 
I was the one that was wrong and I was always living in such a way that I was trying to be sneaky and speed and, and uh, we would say police are pigs. Why? Why, would, why do we put every single law enforcement officer in the same basket if, if, if some deal with us unjustly? But for the most part, they say police are pigs because they busted them doing wrong. But I say, you know what, I respect what you're doing now. You're doing it for our safety for the most part. And we, we teach our children that you're friends and not foes. In other words, if they get in trouble, they run to you, not away from you. Because they're, you're here to help. And they say, too right you are. And they appreciate it. Some of them take gospel tracts and they read it. Uh, we're not here to overthrow government and to protest against, you know, for the most part. We're here to preach the gospel to a dying world. To a dying world. As a matter of fact, we as Christians are called to pray for our government and those that are in authority. Have a look at 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. I, he says... Paul says to Timothy, I, I exhort thee that first of all supplication, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet, peaceable life in all godliness and honesty, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God and our Saviour. Why? Who will have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Brethren, God beholds the injustice that takes place in the world, especially the persecuted Christians. God sees it, and God will avenge it. First uh, Peter three twelve says, "The eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and His ears are open unto their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against who? Against them that do evil." Number four, as citizens of heaven, we must submit to our God-given authority as unto the Lord, as unto the Lord. We do it for the Lord's sake. We do it for. Him, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 15. For so it is the will of God. With well-doing ye may put the silence, the ignorance of foolish men. Uh, both our submission and our service, our good works, uh, will, will shut the mouths of those that speak out of ignorance. Will shut the mouths of those that accuse us falsely. I like what John Phillips states. He says, our actions should make no... Uh, sorry, he says, our actions should make our accusers speechless, like a muzzle placed over their mouths, ignorance of foolish men. By our submission and by our service to our country, as passing pilgrims to this country, we'll close the mouths of those that wish to destroy Christians. Our Christian conduct is the way to defend the gospel, not giving any ignorant people any reason to blaspheme the things of God. Yes, we can preach the gospel, but how's your conduct? How's your practice? Are you blameless? Are you have a sweet spirit or are you defiant? Yeah, look, 1 Peter 2.16 says this, as free and not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God. We're free in Christ. We're liberated. Uh, God is ruling over us. The Lord is the Lord of our lives. But that is not in any way, any reason to be rebellious against God-ordained government. We are free in Christ to serve God on earth as strangers and pilgrims, but our freedom, our liberty does not give us a passport to live a reckless, rebellious way. We ought not to be bad ambassadors for Christ. Amen? We ought to be good ambassadors. I like what William MacDonald said, freedom does not include lawlessness. 
So we must never use our freedom as a pretext for evil. Sinful disobedience should never be justified by some uh, spiritual excuse. The cause of Christ is never advanced by evil masquerading in religious clothes. We ought to be forthright and true. We ought to be honest. We ought to be people that if we are going to be persecuted, it's for our good as Christians, for preaching the word and practicing the word, not for ungodly behavior. We accord as God's people to give honor where honor is due. Look at verse 17. Honor all men. Love the brotherhood. Fear God, honor the king. For the most part, we must respect and honor Caesar, but not at the expense of disrespecting Christ. But the honor must be there. The Lord Jesus explains this well. Go to Matthew chapter 17. Leave your finger there. We'll come back. Go to Matthew chapter 17. Look at verse 24. And when they were come to Capernaum, they that received tribute money came to Peter and said, Doth not your master pay tribute or taxes? And he saith, Yes. And when he was come into the house, Jesus perceived, uh, prevented him, saying, What thinkest thou, Simon? Of whom do the kings of the earth take custom or tribute? Of their own children or of strangers? Peter saith unto him, of strangers. Jesus saith unto him, then are the children free? Notwithstanding, lest we should offend them, go thou to the sea, and cast a hook, and take up the fish that first cometh up, and when thou hast opened his mouth, thou shalt find a piece of money, and take and give it unto them for me and thee. You know what the Lord Jesus was trying to teach Peter? That people that are in government, people that have rule over us, don't expect taxes or take taxes from their own. They're free. And in a sense, he's trying to say, Peter, you're free. Uh, if the Son of Man has made you free, you'll be free indeed. You're free. Uh, you're a stranger to them, but not to me. But lest we offend them, go and make them happy. Give, he says it best later on in Matthew 22 rather, uh, verse 21. Give to Caesar's what is Caesar's and give to God what is God's. Give what belongs to them, but listen, give what belongs to me. And I believe he had the best balance. But you know what? Although Jesus teaches us to honour the king and the government by giving to them what is they require that doesn't violate the scripture the government in the, in the last day is going to require us to dishonor God and not give to God what belongs to him and that's the temptation and because we say no we must honor God and no we must put him first it will look like we are evildoers but though we may look like this and we put God first there should be a respect for them. 
That leads us to the next. By our suffering. How should we show forth the praises of God? Listen, brethren, by our suffering. I can't spend too much time here for the sake of time, but brethren, mark it down. As Christians, people will take advantage of you, and for the most part, they know they can. Because they know. Turn the other cheek. They know that. They know. For the most part, if you're a true Christian and they begin to uphold your words and your work, that they can take advantage of you, and they do. You're not going to retaliate. You're not, you're not going to have tit for tat and come with aggressiveness and maliciousness. No, I sure hope not. If you're persecuted, if they punch you, you don't punch them back. You know, the police come, you don't resist and run. Even if, you, if, if they uh, capture you for the cause of Christ, what, what do you do? What, because you're guilty? No, I'm not guilty. But I, I, I'm, not a, I'm not a criminal. I, I, I've done nothing wrong. I'm not going to resist so they can pin me down on resisting. Because they want to pin you down for something. We bear it patiently. And by bearing it, sanctify the Lord God in your hearts that ye may give an answer to them. What? That, that, that ask if you of the hope that, that is in you with meekness and fear. The onlookers, even the police officers and centurions will, will say, I can't believe this. They are, and they have been treated unjustly. And look at them. Look at them. Doesn't mean that we cannot speak up with boldness. Peter did, and, and Jesus did, and John did, and Paul did. When it came to the truth and exposing error, it's fine. But listen, when they came under persecution, they took it. And that's what it means when he reviled, when they reviled him, he reviled not again. I want you to see verse 19, for this is thankworthy. If a man for conscience toward God endure grief, suffering, what's that word? Wrongfully. For what glory is it if when ye be buffeted for your faults, you should take it patiently. So in other words, if we've done wrong, we admit to that fault and we say we've done wrong. We deserve what we get. But if when ye do well and suffer for it, yet take it patiently. This is acceptable with God. For, he, he says, look at this, for he, even hitherto are ye called when Christ also suffered for us, leaving our an example that you should follow his steps. You know, another reason why we're called passing pilgrims, not only because who we follow and the way the world treats us, because the way we live will we'll, we'll suffer for it. So we're just passing through. We're not here to stay. It says, but if and when you do well and you suffer for it, take it patiently. You know, beloved, we have not only been given the privilege to be God's chosen, holy, special people, but with the privilege we have been given a purpose. And that purpose is to show forth his praises by our, by our conduct, by our uh, Christian values and virtues, and by our submission, and, 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 and by our suffering. The way we suffer, the way we endure the wrong you know, it, it, there's an element in our flesh that says, I just want to get back. I want vengeance and justice. And, and for the most part, it's not wrong. But God says, leave it to me. I will take care of it. You just go show forth the praises of God. And you know how? 
by living like Christ even in suffering. Before we were saved, we never had this privilege and we sure didn't have any eternal purpose at all. Look at verse 10, which in time past were not a people, but now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. It is only by God's grace that we have been given both the privilege and the purpose. And there is no other way, but only by God's grace. This also challenges us to live as, as people of God. Not the way we used to live. I said, not the way we used to live. You know, we have been uh, called out of darkness. We're called out of darkness into his marvellous light to show forth his praises. We ought to live like Christians. A people of God, living for the glory of God is what God has made us to be in Christ. Look, listen, God made the bird to sing. To his glory, it sings. It was made to sing. The sun is made to give warmth. The moon is made to give light. And God says to you, Christian, ye are the light of the world. A city on the hill cannot be hid. You're supposed to show forth his praises. You're, sh you're supposed to shine and live like a Christian. Listen, salt is supposed to give flavour. That's what it's made for. And if it doesn't give flavour, what does Jesus call it? You're good for nothing. You're worthless. It's only been trotted down the foot of men. If we don't practice what we preach or we do not simply fulfill the purpose that God has given us as privileged people, then we're just worthless. We're not being what God has called us to be. Men have been made by God to worship him. You know why God put us here on earth? To worship him. Look at Revelation 4.11. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory, honour and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. And when Jesus was on the donkey and people were praising him and, and, uh, and uh, glorifying God in the highest, the Pharisees didn't like it. And they came and they said to Jesus and they demanded, they said, Master, tell, tell them to, let me use this word, be quiet or shut up. Tell them to hold their peace. You know what Jesus said to them? He said this, if these shouldn't hold their peace, the stones would immediately cry out. <laughs> Jesus never said, stop worshipping. Because the Pharisees or the religious rulers and the government said so. Jesus said, look, listen, if I tell them to stop, the, 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 the stones will cry out. All creation worships God because God created it for his glory and we are part of his creation. You can't tell God or God's people to stop being what God made them to be here on earth. And before that we weren't a people, but now a people of God and we must live up to the purposes of God for all things were created by him and for him. Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego showed forth the praises of God in their day. Remember when Nebuchadnezzar erected a, a big statue of himself and demanded everyone worship it. Everybody bowed down and worshipped to this big idol of Nebuchadnezzar. Three men in that day. Shadrach, Meshach 
And Abednego said, we're not going to do it. And they were threatened. And they were threatened and threatened to be put in the fiery furnace. And they weren't going to do it. Imagine that. Imagine being threatened. Not, be, not, put, listen, not your home taken away, your finances taken away, or being put in prison in a four by four, but no, nah, being put in fire and burnt alive. Oof. And you know why Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did not bow down, but rather showed forth the praises of God in their day? Because they knew that they were here for a purpose. And that purpose was to glorify God, not dumb idols, not self, not man-made in inventions, sports and entertainment and things that the world goes crazy, crazy over. No, we were here to glorify God and I'm not bowing down. And you know what they said? To Nebuchadnezzar, they said, we are careful to answer thee in this matter. Verse 17. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And look at this. And he will deliver us out of thy hand, O king. You see, you know, king Nebuchadnezzar, you can threaten us all you want. But you know what? God's going to deliver us. One way or another, he's going to deliver us. But I like what they said in the next part here. Verse 18. But... If not, but if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods. I'm just gonna, we're just letting you know, God will deliver us, but even if he doesn't, we're just letting you know, we're not going to serve your gods. Listen, we're not doing it. We refuse to bow down to ungodly decrees because we're here to show forth praises of God. Listen, Babylonia, it wasn't the place where God wanted them to be. They were just passing through for 70 years. But they were passing through, showing the praises of God, and that never stops. Not in any generation. Not in any pandemic. Uh, the second, third, for the most part, lockdown during this pandemic that we saw the last few years we as a church decided that we will continue to do ministry and serve the Lord we didn't pressure any of our members we said look if you want to come and minister with us you can every man has to deal with this before God in their own conscience I'm surely as a pastor going to lead I'm not going to force I'm a leader I'm not a Lord however I'm not going to stop but if you want to continue you can and 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 for the most part, our church is relatively small. Those that were wanting to continue, continued. And by the way, Brother Zach allowed me to use his testimony. I asked him, and, uh, but Brother Zach came to me and he said, I want to talk to you. And he, we sat down in my office and he says, you know, I'm torn between the two because I want to obey the government and I want to obey God. And uh, I know that if I obey God and if I go through this and we get whatever, prosecuted or persecuted by our government for continuing to be what God wants us to be. He says, I don't have citizenship. And that was a fear factor in his life. And so he might lose his citizenship because we didn't know at that time what the government would do. It was so you know, uncertain. That was so forceful. It was terrible. 
And me as a pastor saying, brother, I can't answer that one for you. You're going to have to do what God presses on your heart to do. I can't tell you. I can't. So, he goes away and he prays and seeks the Lord. And lo and behold, he rocks up. Think, wow, here he is. Whatever it is that God worked in his heart, he came. And he came under. By the way, everyone's got their own walk with God that God is working in their heart. I didn't, those people that didn't come, I didn't look down on them. It was a very tough time. And those people that did come, I praise God for them. It was, I'm telling you, it was a very tough time to be in. It was unpredictable. We've never been in that situation before. We had to honour God, but yet honour the government at the same time. And you were like, ish. And by the way, we continued. Little humble little church, just doing what we're called to do. And then we had police knocking on our door. That day, amongst the people that were prosecuted and fined, was Zach. I, I couldn't know what was going on in his heart. I, I, I didn't know and understand it. For the most part, because I told the police very clearly, please leave the people of God alone and just deal with me. Find me, do what you want with me. And they said, sure, 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 sure. No, no, no worries. We just want to know if they're from the greater Sydney. No, they gave me their word that they weren't going to do anything more. And they didn't. He was overruled. The sergeant was overruled. And there was about seven police cars and more police officers in front of us. You'd think that we'd, we, it was a crime scene. An old lady with her son in a wheelchair, treated like criminals, like, brethren, we've passed this now, but you've got to understand what took place. It was very unjust and unlawful. And you've got to understand the pastor's heart here. And I know it's nothing comparable with the first century church when they were held out by Saul and killed, both men and women, just for being Christians. So we've got a taste of what they went through, but nothing, just like a grain of sand. We've got to find on that day, or maybe about... I don't know, close to $12,000. And so the next week we went and thought, okay, we'll go and meet in the park. If it's not in closed doors, and we'll meet in the park. We can still meet and praise God. So we went in the park. And we're okay for that week. But then in the next week there was rules again that were uncertain, and uncertain for the individual, or more so for the church. But we still decided, you know what, we're not really doing anything wrong. We want to worship God. We're not putting anyone in danger like they say we are. We're just really worshipping God. And so, well, if you compare it to Bunnings Baptist Church, you know, how many people were in Bunnings? How many people were still in sporting events? Why don't you go speak to them? But no, 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 they're privileged people. And, uh, and, and, and you know what? If it wasn't for them, we won't be able to, you know, you're sure you need to build something in the back while you're locked down, you know? You need to keep yourself occupied and sane. Don't worry about God. Just build your idols and, and let's get, let's get well, you know, with, let me not go on the rabbit trail. Let me continue with what happened. And so they came out in the park and for the, about 10, 10 people, that came with, with women and children there, not including the, the children, will find again. All up about $38,000. $38,000 for a little church praising God like we're supposed to. 
and said, we're not going to pay this. It's unlawful. We're going to fight it. And so we did. We got a hold after much prayer and fasting of a Christian lawyer named Mark Ramsland. And by the way, he allowed me to use his name. And uh, by God's grace, he wanted to do it for us as a pro bono and, and, and a ministry. And he, off the bat, when I told him what had happened, said, you're not guilty. This is unlawful. This is just bad. And he was willing and more than happy to take it on. And so we went to the local court and we tried to fight it there. And uh, the judge kind of halved the penalty. But in my eyes, it wasn't good enough. We don't deserve to be fined at all. We hadn't done nothing wrong before God or even to this country as passing pilgrims. Comparable to those people that are simply living their own little leisures and uh, following after their idols. And I remember the first judge used the quote, give to Caesars what's Caesars and give to God what's God's. I'm thinking, okay, well that's good, but you missed the second part really. You only emphasised the first part. Give to Caesars what's Caesars. Well, what about God's? In my heart, I'm saying, what about God's? What belongs to God? What is God? We, a holy nation, his people, passing pilgrims. We're not here to stay. We're passing through. And we want to honour God on our way out. So we appealed it to the district court. And again, the lawyer, Mark Ramsland, graciously took it on and said, well, we are behind you. We'll take it. If you want to take it to the district court, we did. And we took it there. And thank God, there was a judge that was put before us. We prayed and we lifted him up and that God will turn his heart. And listen, we were there ready to say, even if we lost, we're going to take it as persecution. We're going to be persecuted somehow. I mean, aren't we? Are we always going to dodge the bullet? Are we going to be exempt? Paul said to the early church that were at Antioch, that were first called Christian, that through much tribulation you will enter into the kingdom of God. Are we exempt? No. But we said, well, you know what, we're still going to fight for it. Paul fought for his rights at times, lawfully. And so we did. And thank God that God gave us a judge that could see it. And under the double standard and the hypocrisy of how these rules and were applied for this person and different for this person and he saw all that and I'm thank God he did I thank God for Mark Ramsland that really rep represented us well and 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 conveyed everything that I wanted to be conveyed he did a phenomenal job and 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 the judge saw it and he acquitted every single fine every single penalty and the first one that was mentioned and set as a benchmark was Zach. The prosecution said, you know, Zach he seems to have a good character. And, uh, and she went on and on, and the judge agreed. And uh, they got Zach's penalty revoked. And then Zach was used as an illustration. Well, the others too have good character, and they've never been uh, done anything right, uh, wrong in the, in the eyes of the, uh, you know, uh, this country. They've been good citizens, if you so to speak. And they, one by one, they were acquitted, 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 acquitted. And, you know, the prosecution, one folder after the no, another. You were there. <laughs> wasn't happy. <laughs> wasn't happy. Just one folder after the other. Because we have a judge 
that had some sense to see the hypocrisy that we Christians were discriminated against. There was a double standard out there. There was. There was. You say, what happened to you? Well, Mark Ramsland stood up and said, the pastor wants to take full responsibility. And I said, yes, I do. I do want to take full responsibility. That's what I wanted in the beginning. And so he addressed me and he said, since you're the leader and so forth and you led these people this way, you'll still get a fine. And it was probably not even a third, about 5% or 10% of, of what the fine was. I'm thinking, he had to appease the prosecution and the government somehow. If he were up to him, he'd throw it all out. I could see it. He saw it was a sham. So anyway, we were rejoicing at the fact, you know, thirty or thousand dollars versus about five hundred or seven hundred dollars. You know, God is worthy either way. Amen. But the time and the effort. And, and again, the, the, the grace and, and, and the mercy that even the lawyer showed, because that's ten thousands of dollars again uh, toward us. I rang up brother Zach. I said, Zach, you wouldn't believe it. I said, you were the first one to be acquitted. And, and, and your, your penalty was thrown out. And it was the same day, listen to this, it was the same day that he was at an event that he got his citizenship. <laughs> he had just got his citizenship on the day his penalty was revoked we just praise God and you know what he said even if it didn't happen even if it didn't he's worthy that's what Shadrach Meshach even if we're not delivered we will not. Because this is what God's called us to do. As passing pilgrims. To show forth his praises. And that's not criminal. That's lawful in God's eyes. And brethren, we must continue to be everything that God has called us to be. We are chosen generation. A royal priesthood. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people for a purpose. To show forth his praises by the way we live, by our preaching and by our practice. What we say and what we do for his glory and for the sake of those that are watching that they will too come and be part of this wonderful, wonderful heavenly citizenship in heaven and one day be with him when he returns. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your saviour here today, I want, to, I, want to, I want to tell you, you could know him. And to know him is to know life eternal. Jesus came and died for sinners and we're all sinners. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Do you know for sure that if you die, you'll be, be with the Lord? Do you know for sure? 
If you don't know, it's because you perhaps haven't come to Christ. And Jesus said, the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which is lost. You haven't come to Christ. You haven't been free. You're not part of this chosen people, this holy nation, this peculiar people. And I'm saying to you today, you can by receiving Jesus Christ as your personal saviour. And then, my friend, you can have purpose in your life. What purpose do you have now? You're not a child of God, you're not the people of God. Who are you living for and what are you living for? What's your life amounting to? This? What? A trophy? Leaving a heritage and thank God for a heritage. But is it godly? Is it a seed that will grow up and worship God? What are you living for? Because don't forget, next time we preach on this, Peter says, as strangers and pilgrims, that we must abstain from fleshly lust that war against the soul. Even you, Christian, can be hindered in being what God wants you to be if you're earthbound. And may God help every one of us here today, saved and unsaved, be what God wants us to be for his glory, what we were created to be for his glory. Amen? Let's pray.